0: one gentleman basically he wouldn't talk to me unless I sat on his motorcycle in the middle of his living room okay whatever has to happen to get this done Um, why did he have a motorcycle in his
1: living room
0: so many questions I don't I don't know I just needed a statement so welcome to the defense never rests with Morgan and Akins your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not
1: Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rest. I'm your host, Megan Henry, and today I'm joined by Judy Balinski, who is the director of global insurance claims at Travel and Leisure. Um, but Judy has had so much experience in risk management and claims throughout her career in hospitality and in, in, in many areas in hospitality. And she's just has so much to, to share about claims that she's seen and just the nuances of handling hospitality type claims, because it is, there is a balance to them um, that, you know, she, she's in here to share, you know, how how she handles that. So with that, let's bring her in. Good afternoon, Judy. Thank you for joining me this morning on or this afternoon uh, on the Defense of Arrest. How are you today?
0: I'm good, Megan. How are you?
1: Great. I am so thrilled to have you on because you and I talked a few weeks ago on the phone, um, I think for like an hour, and you just were regaling me with all your stories of things that you've seen in your career, with claims, and I was like, "You need to come on and talk about these stories because <laughs> they, you've just seen and heard some fascinating things
0: throughout your career." I have. I think we're going to have the scaled down version today, maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, we we got to make it like PG for you know for for the consumers' consumption. Um, <laughs> we're not going to dispel any proprietary secrets but you've seen a lot. and I'd love I'd love for you to share some of that with us. So I'm excited to dive into it. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I, I'm so thrilled. So you know, I, I get a lot of people on, on this podcast and claims and attorneys and you know, and everyone has um, a different story or a different Avenue of how they've made it to where they are and no one is the same. So you know, I, I can't imagine that you uh, as a young, Young lady, we're like, I want to go into claims. Like, this is the career path I foresee for myself. So, how did you get into claims? Like, what was
0: your path there? Actually, um, after high school, I went to a technical school to be a court reporter. Um, It came relatively easy until I got to court and I found myself sitting on the sideline of the real reporter. And becoming far too engaged in what was going on and forgetting that I was supposed to be documenting all of that. (laughs) And so I just learned really quickly, you know, I should have two years earlier, um, that staying on the sideline was just not gonna work for me from a long term career perspective. Plus, I couldn't have nails and I have long nails. And so between those two things, I was like, okay, what else, you know, what's next? Um, But one of the benefits of court reporting school. Is having really good secretarial skills because you had to turn around and transcribe all of the information that you had on your stenography machine. So I applied for a job for an insurance company for a clerk, um, you know, five minutes from my house, very convenient. And within three months, the branch manager, who was one of the first female branch managers um, in her day, came up to me and said, we don't want to lose you. We know you're not going to be a clerk for very long. Um, what do you think about studying and getting your adjuster's license? So I was 20 years old. Read a book, take a test. OK. Um, and they paid for it. Uh, great. And um, so I did it. And then I started sitting in on my lunch hour with various adjusters. And you know, this is, of course, way back in the day when everyone was in an office. Um, And so I basically learned, you know, workers' comp, auto general liability. And after a few months, um, she let me interview for the adjuster training program. Normally, the company had gone to four-year colleges, recruited kids that had four-year degrees, and put them through, you know, a, I think at the time, probably five-month, very robust training program. Um, I only had a two-year degree, but I interviewed. They accepted me into the program. And I spent nine years at Continental, uh, really only left because they got acquired and the company relocated. But it afforded me an opportunity to learn all lines of casualty claims. Um, I even did a little bit of time as the clerical supervisor. And that's kind of how it all got started. And, you know, in hindsight, I wish I would have gone to school for insurance and risk management, but. You know, um, back then it wasn't really sexy, and I don't think the industry has done a very good job, you know, cultivating the younger generation. Um, so, you know, that might be a little bit of a regret, but it was also good to learn from a hands-on and to be able to work alongside folks that had been doing it for a really long time.
1: Yeah, and I I don't necessarily think it should be a regret, though, not not going to, uh, getting a four-year degree for it, because I don't think you need it. Like look where you are now. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think you'd be anywhere. Di- like where would you be that would be different? You know, I just I, don't, don't. I might
0: have an MBA in risk management if I had gotten Possibly. going a little bit sooner. But that's probably that's probably about it.
1: Well, at that time when you were first starting out and you're seeing all, all the different you know areas of claims, did you did one? Did you gravitate towards one area over another, or were you just a, like you like to consume it all?
0: Initially, workers comp, and only because back before all the technology that we have today, you were actually looking at medical reports. You were reviewing bills. You were the one interacting with the doctor. You were the one interacting with the employee because you know they weren't nearly as represented as they are now. You could have conversations. You actually could feel like you were helping people get back to work and get the best possible medical care. Um, you also had 500 files. Where now you have 150. So I always question how folks can't handle that um, with all the technology that's available today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, you know, and, and you had to be very organized and multitask, right? Because you could have 10 different people calling you needing something from you, and you had to be able to prioritize and, you know, all of that. And you, d- you couldn't hand it off to the nurse or hand it off to somebody else. So, um, and you did feel good when you helped somebody. And, you know, I had some employees that I worked with that fired their lawyers because their lawyers would never take the call. And I did. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. And (laughs) I mean, and there's something to be said about that to, to allow, uh, I mean, I think sometimes you forget that in, in this world, these people who are bringing these workers' comps claim are people who are injured and feeling pain, you know, and, and these are things that they want to be heard about.
0: Uh, well and a lot of them have challenging family situations and financially now they're receiving reduced income um, you know and and candidly companies and I've learned this you know then going to the company side companies always don't do a good job of making employees feel valued and wanting them to come back and working with them and helping them to come back so it's understandable why some folks rush to an attorney
1: where where did you go from from there from that? you know, that first foray into claims, you didn't stay there forever, so. No.
0: (laughs) So I went out into the field and that was interesting because from an investigative standpoint, I worked for an organization that had a large number of diverse policyholders. And so whether it was taking a recorded statement in person or investigating a safety violation or something to that effect, I literally made my own schedule Um, Throughout Dade, Broward and Palm Beach County, I got to interact with injured employees, I got to interact with customers and clients and our insureds. Um, And it was it was never dull. And especially when you would go into someone's home. Some of the things that happened that might be a conversation for a different time, but um, (laughs) some really interesting stories because you didn't just show up on their doorstep and, you know, I had one gentleman. Basically, he wouldn't talk to me unless I sat on his motorcycle in the middle of his living room. Okay, whatever has to happen to, to get this done. Um, why did he
1: have a motorcycle in his living room?
0: So many questions. I don't, I don't know. I just needed a statement. So did
1: he have a, did he have like a, a grill in there too? Like, no, no, things- just the
0: motorcycle. Yeah, that was it. Interesting. And it was probably more expensive than every other piece of furniture in his home.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, and I, you know, I do hear this a lot, though, about doing, being in field claims. I've heard this from so many, so many guests on on this podcast, how the being out in the field and handling claims in the field really, like, ignited their fire. Uh, And it, it was just almost like a pivotal moment for many that it's like, they like loved that part of their career when they were just down in the dirty and like just out there, you know, handling the claims in the field.
0: Well, and you know, sometimes they were tragic situations. And so I I remember a case where I was supposed to be, you know, explaining the benefits or whatever, and it was a fatality and I was in tears. And then the wife of this individual was comforting me and I'm like, I'm sorry. (laughs) you know. Um, But then getting to the root cause and, you know, helping figure out, like, how do we prevent this from happening again, Um, which is really key, right? You don't want the same situation to occur. Um, And then the kind of Reserve police officer inside of me that I used to be. It was like, oh, oh, this is questionable. Okay, we're going to get this person <laughs> yeah. because you know I'm all about taking care of the legitimate individuals. But if you're going to try to abuse the company, the system, that's not going to work for me. Yeah. So um, that part was interesting as well.
1: Uh, and so, how long did you did you do do that?
0: Uh, that was about two two and a half years.
1: Okay. Uh, And then then what was your next move?
0: Um, The next move was to uh, Tyco International. And so um, that was a global conglomerate. Um, That's where I really started to learn more about risk management. That's where the claims kind of bled over into actually purchasing the insurance once you do that, how does the policy respond in the event of a claim? Uh, because you know it's easy to buy insurance, but unless you actually read it and understand it and see what happens when something occurs, that's where a lot of times the disconnect occurs. Um, fortunately, it was a global organization, so not only did I get the benefit of having oversight for anything that happened in the U.S., I got exposed to an international platform. Um, and, you know, handling a Fire in Germany or the tsunami in Japan. Um, I hate to say it, but the best way to learn is sometimes baptism by fire, yeah. and um, it was wonderful. We also, at the time, were um, very aggressive with mergers and acquisitions, so integrating new organizations into the existing insurance program and and then you know the claims. Um, because I can remember getting calls saying, "Hey, you know, we have an employee that got hurt. What do we do? And I'm like, "Oh, who are you? When did we buy you? Yesterday, welcome. Okay, let me tell you how this works. <laughs> and so, you know, that was very, very challenging. Fortunately, we had a very good third party administrator as a partner. Um, but every day was just something different. And that's also when I learned you will answer your phone in the middle of the night um, because bad things happen. And especially when you have an international footprint and most of those bad things are not nine to five. Yeah. So nights, holidays, weekends, you better be prepared.
1: <laughs> I know. And and that is hard though, too, because that's like some, probably some of the more, most interesting and challenging work happens at the most inconvenient times. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I basically for years, I've just had a notebook and pen next to. You know, my night on the nightstand and I wake up and there's no video, but, you know, do what you have to do. Yeah.
1: Um, and how, you know, work, when you started working on more of the international, um, like in, in the international market, like how, what was the contrast between that you noticed between how, how claims are handled in like the United States versus, you know, other countries?
0: So PACE is the first Um, No place else in the world do claims happen, get reported, get investigated, get litigated at the same pace as it does here in the States. Um, Litigation. I have been involved in some very serious situations that lawyers never get involved in internationally. People that contribute to something most of the time in other countries, they accept their responsibility and they are much more realistic in their expectations as far as resolution of claims. Um, and many, even for some serious situations, they don't sue at all. It, mm-hmm. it is shocking sometimes. Um, one of the organizations I worked with, there was a significant bus accident with our employees um, and not one person retained counsel and there was a fatality, there was an amputation. Um, I mean, we we did everything right and we treated everyone the way they needed to be treated. But if that had ever happened here in the United States, probably people that weren't even on the bus would have tried okay. to make claims. Totally, they'd be, get, yeah. be
1: there'd be video of them getting on the bus
0: and then limping off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, honestly, give me an international claim all day long, Um, you know, we obviously had key partners. So from our brokers and our insurance carriers, um, you know, I had the Chinese workers' compensation scheme translated because I don't speak Chinese. Um, You know, so a lot of it was partnerships, right? It wasn't just myself going in and, you know, clearly I can't know everything about every jurisdiction. Um, So one of the keys is picking your strategic partners. And having them for a long time, and having a comfort level that if you call them in the middle of the night, they're going to answer their phone as well.
1: Yeah. Um, and why? Why do you think you're we're seeing, or you were seeing that that, in the, that internationally, you just don't see the lawsuits or the claims? Is it more difficult, maybe, to recover, or is it just that it like a cultural thing?
0: It, it's really more of a cultural thing. The it it appears that you know the US mentality is just sue, 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 sue. Um, the system doesn't discourage it. You know, here folks don't have to take any money out of their pocket to retain counsel, Mm -hmm. where in some other jurisdictions around the world, you have to. Some you have to submit a petition to the government and they come up with a random amount of money for you to send to them if and when you you know choose to proceed with your case and recover anything. That's a huge deterrent for for yeah. you know fruitless litigation. Um, so if we had anything like that here, um, you know, I think it would be a lot different.
1: Yeah, um, you know, and you're not the first person who I've talked to on on, on this program that has said something very similar to that. And the, the contrast between you know the litigation culture in the United States compared to what what you see internationally. Um, it, it, very, very similar. So,
0: <laughs> and, and honestly, it's getting worse. So, yeah. you know, you have these um, litigation funding organizations now that in my career, historically, that never existed. Um, and that is adding to more nuclear verdicts, more completely ridiculous settlements. Um, and it's, I don't see any end in sight unless there is some type of serious regulatory, you know, involvement that says, Hey, you, you can't be doing this. <laughs> yeah.
1: And that's, that's another giant topic for, for another time that <laughs> that
0: we we won't, we won't dive into.
1: Um, but, you know, well, and then at some, there, thereafter at some point you, you then get into more hospitality type uh, hospitality organizations, right? Um,
0: yeah. Um, Tyco actually, um, so, the CEO went to jail, and that's public knowledge. I'm not disclosing anything. I shouldn't be. Um, and the company split twice. So, I went with both of their subsidiaries. Um, one was an existing organization, again, global footprint, heavy manufacturing. And so, you know, that lends itself toward environmental and pollution issues, um, life safety, serious life safety situations if a plant catches on fire or you know something to that effect. Um, and then the next company was more focused on security. Um, and so you know we had thousands of vehicles on the road uh, which screams, "Hey, sue me, hit me!" Mm-hmm. Um, you know customers, cyber was just becoming an issue at that time. So you know now you hear cyber breaches weekly in the news. Um, it wasn't really a thing back then. Um, so looking at, hey, how do you protect customer data, employee data, all of that. Um, so after that is kind of when the hospitality started.
1: Uh, and and what you and I were talking about um, when we talked a few weeks ago is, you know, some of the more interesting hospitality type claims you would see were, were inter- like you were on international soil. um, and that's where you would have what sounded to me like some some law school type problems, like law law school exam problems, I should say.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was um it was interesting what people do on vacation in a foreign country., yes. so you already um have a location that is very lax. You know, they told me hurricanes blow by them. Okay, that's not the case, but that was the, the thought. Um, and there is such a thing as vacation mentality. There truthfully is. And I've now worked at you know multiple hospitality companies and people do things when they're on vacation that they would never do at home. Mm-hmm. They consume excessive amounts of a lot of things <laughs> that they may or may not would, you know, do at home. Um, they tend to not watch their children. Because they think it's somebody else's responsibility, even if there's signage and, you know, all of that basically saying, hey, no lifeguard on duty. Um, They are unaware of their personal security. A lot of times they put themselves in situations that become unsafe and likely they wouldn't do that if they were walking around their local, you know, downtown area that they were more familiar with. Um, They go to jail and then they call and they say, hey, what are you guys going to do to help me out? And my response always was, let's recap the facts leading up to your incarceration. (laughs) And once we did that, um, you know, then they understood that, hey, we didn't really have any liability and you might want to address that fine and, you know, get out of jail and go home. So um, it, it was really—it's very interesting. Just the the lack of awareness that people have. I—I I, I mean, I've traveled all over the world. I've been very fortunate, um, and I am more conservative and I am more careful when I am in another country than potentially I am here in the states. Just because the laws are different, the rules are different, and the last thing you want to do is end up in jail or end up in a serious situation. I, I
1: really can't think of a, a more terrifying scenario than being in jail in a foreign country. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I mean, there have, are more terrifying scenarios, but right now I'm like, that would Have be you
0: terrible. watched the Locked Up Abroad? Have you, has anybody ever yeah. watched that? That's a very scary show. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, not for nothing, I think like when you say that people are less aware of their surroundings, I, I, like I think you hear a lot of these stories when you know people visit foreign countries maybe islands and go maybe veer off the resort and you know I think a tourist looks like a tourist looks like a tourist and I some they they very easily get taken advantage of Especially if you are consuming these things <laughs> that make you less aware of right. your surroundings, it's like it's not a good combination.
0: But you know what? Even signage at the res- different resorts, you know, something as clear as "Watch your step, wet floor." Um, this particular vendor has nothing to do with the resort. Don't engage them. We have zero control. We don't know how their equipment is, you know, operated, maintained. You can have all of that and then something happens and you produce all of that as part of the litigation, you know, and it's kind of like, how did this happen? And, and the, the bad thing is you feel bad about what actually happens. Sometimes it's tragic, but then you put your employer hat on and you go, but it's not our fault. (laughs) So, you know, there's a very big disconnect between Enhancing the guest experience and having them have a great time and explaining that, you know, you were injured because you did this and there is zero liability on the part of the, you know, resort, hotel, whatever.
1: Yeah. So that was, that's kind of where I was going next with this too, is because you're in the business of hospitality, right? And you're in the business of, you know, wanting to maintain or create, you know, wonderful experiences. Um, but there's only so much you can do too. If you people have independent thinking and they do something to change their wonderful experience right. and you know go off the rails, so to speak. So it, but it's a balance though for you too because you you still want to maintain that. Okay, you're you're here, you're on vacation, but you also you're not protecting people from their own poor choices.
0: Right. Well, and the other issue is, um, and it's, again, it's gotten worse since COVID. Vacations used to be something people did every so often. Um, Now, vacations are kind of part of people's life. So a lot of folks that hadn't traveled very extensively pre-COVID are now out and going and doing and, you know, all of that. Um, Physically, A lot of folks, I understand, you know, it's all going to get to a point where we don't want to just be sitting at home and, you know, die in our chair watching television. But a lot of times people should consider their physical well-being and their abilities before they try to do certain things or go certain places or, hey, it sounds like a good idea to go, you know, bungee jumping, or I don't know, whatever the the thing is. And that creates a lot of problems, right? Or people with mobility issues, they already have those issues. You have all of the, something still happens. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's somebody else's fault. Activities, if you've never, snorkeled you probably shouldn't decide to do it at the great barrier Reef where there are great white sharks you know <laughs> i mean so it it is a very fine line and then the expectations of the guests when something happens because we don't call them claimants we call them guests and that's kind of been you know over my hospitality career um most of the time you can come to an equitable resolution but there are times where there is zero fault um, on the part, you know of the organization. and the ask on the part of the guest is is just so completely out of control that you you can't do anything about it. Um, you know, from writing to the CEO to posting on social media now, I mean, 15 years ago, that wasn't a thing, right? You could you'd write a letter to the president of said organization with your complaint but now you know you're tweeting it and you're instagramming it and you're doing all this different stuff and i mean there are entire you know most companies have entire teams dedicated to monitoring those platforms yes. and addressing those situations sometimes people you know completely overshare and of course slant the issue in the most positive light for themselves um and then you know i'm working with you know internal folks to say these are the true facts, and you know here they are. And then they have to respond accordingly. And sometimes it's in litigation. That's the only way to, you know, potentially bring all the facts to light and have an independent party say to the individual, you know, <laughs> your your expectations are unrealistic.
1: Bringing up the the social media part of it is, is a good point though, because that can that can just snowball and get out of control and sometimes can work to con- like push the narrative in a, in a way that it, it sways the facts a little bit for you too. So it's a challenge, you know, because then yes. social media is just so easily accessible and people can really say whatever you want, you know.
0: And-, and, and most people don't ever research just even regular news, right? They see a headline and they rarely dive into the true details about what happened. And it's the same in the hospitality industry. I mean, and candidly, I have paid claims that have that I will never be able to forgive myself for doing for a multitude of reasons, whether it was the type of the guest, the situation, the venue, the fact that nobody in their right mind would ever want to take something to trial. Um, You know, I I went to jury duty the other day and I got asked a few questions and they basically kicked me out and said, don't come back. (laughs) Because I'm not going to be, I should be the person being put on the jury, but I'm not going to be the person put on the jury. (laughs)
1: Um, But I mean, let's face it though too, in the hospitality industry, what is out there does matter. You know, you don't want a name of, you know, a a hotel or a resort or airline or whatever it may be you know negative reviews do hurt the business and you to the extent that you can try to control it you sometimes you have to even if it sometimes might mean having to pay out on something that you don't necessarily want to pay out on because it could snowball I mean unfortunately I mean it happens even in it, it Non-hospitality it happens. In I businesses. was going to say it happens
0: in every industry yes. in this day and age, um because everything ends up on social media. I mean, if yeah. if there's an altercation on a plane, it's on before the plane even lands, <laughs> or something like that, right? So, yeah.
1: but on the flip side, you don't want the messaging to be like, oh, but if you do do this, then you're right. gonna like, it, 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 there's and, and it's a
0: very fine line between. Yeah. There are situations where you have to draw a line in the sand sure. and you have to just be like, you are so unreasonable. And if this does actually go to a jury, I'm going to hope that those six or 12 people or whatever are smart enough and that they're angry and they don't like you and they're annoyed and they can see through this and we get, you know, the result we should get. Yes. But, you know, I think most organizations, regardless of the um, type, shy away from jury trials at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I was just having this discussion with someone yesterday. Um, that the the problem with jury trials is like you don't want to bend over and you don't want to give in and just settle. But at the same time, for both sides of the coin, for plaintiffs and defendants, jury trials are so unpredictable. You know, you might have the best facts to support either your defense or your or or your case. But once you get into jury trial, it, it, it might not matter.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> and,
1: and unfortunately for e- either side, that's just that the unpredictability of that is not great.
0: Um, when the average person doesn't want to be there, oh. um, most of the people that should serve figured out a way to get out of it <laughs> or didn't get selected. Yeah. So you, you also have to look at, you know, who's potentially sitting on that jury you know, and and I mean, it's very easy to pull up statistics, right, as far as verdicts in certain places around the country and, you know, and all of that. And it's like, oh, well, this is supposed to be more conservative or don't take it here because, you know, they, they're giving away the farm. Uh, but even that doesn't matter. Sometimes it's does the jury like your lawyer better than their lawyer? I mean, and you're not going to know that.
1: <laughs> no. And, and it sometimes it can be like, oh, do they like how your lawyer is dressed so they believe
0: them more like, right.
1: or they like, or oh, I don't like her pin. So yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go against her. Like it's, it can it be,
0: it's I, way too random for my taste. <laughs>
1: yes. I, I just remember on so many jury trials afterwards and you pull, you pull the jury and the, their reasoning for how they got to the end is baffling. Like I will never understand it. And I mean, there's very smart jury consultants out there that maybe they understand, but I still think it's pretty random. Like, it just—you
0: <laughs> never know, <laughs> right? You know, you're spot on, and you're an attorney, so that's yeah. coming from somebody who potentially, you know, tries cases.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, I, I, I remember I was I was monitoring a trial a few years ago um, for an excess carrier, and after the verdict came down, at the, at talking to the jury, their assessment of the case was solely based on the two attorneys and their evaluation of those two attorneys and what they gleaned from the whole presentation of the trial and what i knew about those two attorneys was stark contrast like i was like what they decided what was true for the defendant's attorney defense attorney i was like that is not accurate at all. <laughs> and then the, I like even said the plaintiff's attorney is like, oh, it looks like someone that you would just like hang out with. And he like was a regular old guy. I'm like, that guy's got more money than anyone in this room. <laughs> it, it, it makes no sense. Right.
0: You <laughs> um, want us to tell the jury, go sit in the parking lot and go see what kind of car he drops jumps into when this is over. <laughs> exactly.
1: Exactly. Who's getting into the Honda Accord and who's got getting into the Maserati? <laughs>
0: Well, but it just goes to show you, I think all of that plays into why every company in this day and age has to be so diligent with all of their documentation, safety, security, processes, procedures, um, because you, you know, that's the only way to give yourself the best shot in defending situations. And so we've, you know, we, me, collectively have focused on this over the majority of my career and it's gotten more and more and more important as time has gone on. Um, you just, you have to have the documentation.
1: Yes. Um, yeah, like, and documentation. And also, I think even while you're, while you're mentioning about signage and people ignoring signage, you still need to have that signage. Like that signage is so, so important because the minute you don't have the signage that is going to be like, The poster. Like there was no warning. Right. Right. (laughs)
0: You you know, the fact that you were running in high heels after it rained, looking at your phone means nothing, right? But you needed to have that sign that said watch your step or slippery when wet or what you know, whatever the case was.
1: Pool deck may be wet.
0: (laughs) You know, when when you put water on any type of a surface, it becomes slippery. So You know, I, I would think the majority of people know that, but it doesn't seem to matter.
1: <laughs> I know. So, you know, taking from your experience, and I, I, I don't want you to talk specifically about any any claims. I don't want you to give anything away. But have there been, I would love to hear some of the more interesting ones that you have have come across your your desk and the lessons that you've kind of learned from them
0: so in the hospitality industry um, bugs not just bed bugs every kind of bug Um, if it's one little tiny fly that flew in when you opened that sliding glass door that's an issue Um, and so I think we had talked before there are plenty of jurisdictions and maybe you can order them online you can buy bed bugs there are people that have made careers going to multiple hospitality companies with their bed bugs. Um, You know, it's going to happen. They can jump on your suitcase in the belly of a plane. Um, You know, uh, uh, they're they're very, they can live for months. This is probably more than anyone needs to know, but they can live (laughs) for months uh, in different areas.
1: Right now, everyone's I, itching themselves. I know, <laughs> I know.
0: I have a process. When I check in, I have a magnifying glass. But I know too much about it. Um, but they can live for months without biting. Why do they always bite on the last day of somebody's vacation versus the first day? I don't know. Um, why, when you check people out, do you find that you know someone has sued five different hospitality organizations for bed bugs in the last two years? Nobody is that unlucky. Um, yeah. You know, so that's, and any kind of bug, if you are, you know, in the tropics and you leave your sliding glass door open, everything from a mud crab to a, you know, no to a mosquito, to a bee, to a spider can come in your room. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so th- that's always very, very challenging, right? And again, it's a fine line between, you know, is it documented? with you know a pest control organization is it a infestation versus a single fly that happened to bite you i mean you know if you're laying by the pool and you get bit by a bee i don't know what to tell you if you walked outside your front door you know i i got attacked by a bee the, we have carpenter bees and i hit something in the grass and like 10 bees flew out at me and i went screaming okay yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. again Whose fault is it if you're in if you're allergic, you should bring the necessary EpiPen or whatever it is that you need, right? So those run the gamut. Those run the gamut from legitimate to outrageous to yes, there happened to be to know you brought them with you. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, mean, I was having this like discussion just last week because um, my my daughter stepped on a bee barefoot oh. um, at our at our pool club, and. I was like, well, it's summer. You rock around a pool club barefoot. The like the, the, there's it wasn't like there was a nest. It's just you stepped on a bee. Like I <laughs> you know, like I how, how are we supposed to prevent that? You know, because if <laughs> we put pesticides down, then people would be upset that now there's pesticides in the grass where you know, young children will be sitting. So, you know, you you, you can't totally win and I'm like, we are outdoors. Like, there's going to be bugs.
0: (laughs) Well, and again, any kind of an animal. Like, at various locations I've worked, there's been signage that says everything. Like, you know, don't, no swimming. Um, And then it's even elaborated because there might be snakes, alligators, you know, this, that, whatever. Um, Don't feed any of the animals. If you're going to feed the large pelican that is fast approaching you, it might land on your head. It might poop on your head. Something might happen. The sign says don't feed any of the animals, yes. Um. you know, stray animals that happen to wander onto a property. <laughs> if you want to bring the feral cat into your room and feed it, assume you might get bit yeah. <laughs> or scratched yeah. or something to that effect. So anything animal related is, you know, again, yeah. just common sense. Like, would you do this in your own home, in your own neighborhood, at your own park, you know, type of thing. Um slips and falls. And I think across most industries, especially in hospitality, that's likely 75% of the claims, Um, you know, pool decks, Mm -hmm. you can't, there is not a substance you could put down on a pool deck that makes it not slippery when it gets wet. (laughs) Okay. Um, Because I've, I've experienced multiple companies from all over the world trying to figure that out. So if it's too rough, it cuts your feet, then you have bloodborne pathogen issues, you know, things like that. If it's too slippery and you're running, and by the way, you're already soaking wet. So when it rains and you decide to run into the lobby, try that big, huge mat that's there, maybe step on that. Don't jump over it to hit the tile and go yeah. sliding. <laughs> yeah. Because the other thing is most of that will be captured on video. Mm-hmm. And and it's sometimes entertaining to watch. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm sure. And also like the, the pool deck issue too. It's like, well, yeah, we could maybe put this other, or maybe, maybe there's some other type of substance that could be put down, but then now it's not going to look pretty too. Like, and it's not going to be aesthetically pleasing. And then you're going gonna to yeah. complain that it's not nice. And you're spending all this money on this very expensive vacation and the pool looks like crap, you know?
0: Or you want a cabin in the woods. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you want to potentially see animals. Okay, so you're not gonna have strobe lights along the pathway, the paved safe pathway. Instead, you choose to go off through the woods, over the tree roots, into the hole and you fall. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Um, you want the ambiance, you know, of of being in the woods in the forest and hearing the animals. Well, of course, it's not going to be well lit. <laughs> you right. you can't have both. You know what I mean? So what's your goal of, you know, going and staying in a cabin in the woods or at a five star beach, you know, resort with 15 pools. You, you got to kind of decide that. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't matter what you thought going into it when something happens all that goes out the window
1: yes yeah
0: and and so you know just companies in general what can you do about that there's there's you know you can adhere to every guideline every regulation every you know ada requirement all of that but things are still going to happen and 95% of the fault is usually on the individual, not on the organization. That has been my experience for the last, you know, 20 years. Um, But
1: then again, we go back to, you know, you do have that, you're still in the hospitality industry. So you, you do need to take care of your guests, but you don't need to take care of their stupidity, but like, but there's a fine line. Like you, you, you don't, You know, you do want people to come back and, you know, but you also don't want to overcompensate or, you know, for someone's independent decision making. Right. um, In which, you know, you don't want to concede to something that you didn't actually do anything that was... um, Negligent,
0: <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's the bottom line. Um, everyone's definition of negligence is very different, and honestly, depending on what state you're in, just statutorily, it's very different, right? So that's the other thing. If somebody, let's say, someone's a resident of California, which you know, there's no rules out there. You you get paid for whatever happens, um, and then you slip and fall in Montana, just. Trying to explain the difference. and when they're used to, you know, oh, well, I slipped and fell in Walmart and I got a hundred thousand dollars in California versus, well, things are a little different over here. So a lot of times, you know, and we partner with our third party administrator, we have an excellent team. We educate them about the business, about the property. Um I see every claim that comes in. I am immediately given direction to our locations to say, You know, here's all the things you need to be doing. I'm having conversations with the adjusters to say, let's focus on this. This is, you know, what we need to be on the lookout for. But every day I do things that I have to grit my teeth just for the customer experience. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, we didn't even talk about like the behind closed doors. So once people shut that door, the things that go on, because, you know, clearly, no surveillance, no video, anything like that. Um, you know, did the dishwasher leak? Didn't it leak? Did the sink overflow? Did you did you stuff something down that sink to make it overflow? Did you hang your wedding dress on a sprinkler head and discharge no. it and it flooded fifteen rooms? Oh. You know, so I mean, there's just a host of things that happen behind closed doors. Um, and that's probably the most shocking to me in the hospitality industry is how little responsibility people want to take for what happens to them when they're in the room all by themselves with yeah. no employees, nothing defective. You know, you you woke up in the middle of the night and maybe you were disoriented and maybe you didn't take your medication and you go to grab your walker, but you don't have time because you really need to get to the restroom And then you slip and fall or you fall off the toilet or you fall getting in and out of the shower. Not sure what we could have done to, you know, assist with that not happening.
1: (laughs) And it's interesting because I think it's such a change in personal mentality because if it happened in your own home, you couldn't blame anybody because it's your own home. But suddenly now you're someplace else. One, your common sense gets thrown out the window. And two, then suddenly you're like, oh, well, I, I fell down in the bathroom. It's not just because, you know, I got out of the shower and my feet were wet and right. I may not have had a mat down, even though this mat is provided over here. I may not have put it down, but now it's going to be someone else's fault.
0: Right. If there's a mat, then the mat moved or slid. If there isn't a mat, there should have been a mat, even though you could have asked for a mat and you didn't ask for a mat. Like there, there is no, it's such a gray area. There is like no perfect uh, formula. So that you know it doesn't happen again, you just have to do what you can do to investigate, mitigate, you know, have have the guest have as pleasant of an experience and And then you have the flip side. you have people that are like, "I should have been paying attention. I did this. you know stupid me. okay, we're good <laughs> so and and even you know that sometimes depends on where is the guest from. I, mm-hmm. I hate to stereotype um because I grew up in Florida, and I live in New York. Um, but it matters. It absolutely yeah. matters. And even just, um, you know, how pleasant they are in the process, how understanding, how accommodating, it it really does make a huge difference.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I'm not surprised to hear that, because I, I see it you know, on my end too, you know, when you're, it, it definitely, you see different personalities from different, different places.
0: (laughs) And sometimes they just want to vent. So we, you know, we've found that whether they're venting um, on site or whether they're venting to an adjuster, sometimes that's all you need to let them do. They just want to be heard. They, you know, or you'll have somebody um, you know, fall off property or do something. And they're like, I just want to make you aware because maybe you can tell X, Y, Z, this is unsafe and they should do something about it. So you have, you know, those kind of folks too. It's like, you know, or they just say, I shouldn't have done X, you know, can I have a nice pack? Thank you. <laughs> uh,
1: and I, I, I imagine though you do see a lot of like alcohol kind of related claims too. Um, and and probably hard to police on resorts because people could be drinking at, you know, establishments at the resort, but they're also probably purchasing their own and drinking in their room and then doing silly things or drinking by the pool or on the beach that it's not anything that's been provided by the, by the resort.
0: No, liquor liability in the U S is a serious issue. And I would venture to guess that all hospitality Organizations and at least the ones I've worked at have very strict policies around over service because you can't not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and you even see airlines. You know, it's like they refuse to serve people, and you know, people get crazy. It's like, well, um, I I was on an international flight one time, and the guy next to me had eight drinks in a four hour period of time, and I asked the flight attendant, I said, "What's going to happen?" Because we were flying from another country back to the U.S. And it was a non-U.S. airline. And I said, what's going to happen when he gets off the plane and goes to rents a car and kills somebody? And she just didn't speak to me for the rest of the flight. <laughs> stop, bringing up, stop bringing up those issues. <laughs> you know, because they were making 10 bucks of whatever on what they were I... serving him. So, you know, it is. And And the other thing is when you are in maybe different parts of the world, sometimes the alcohol content mm-hmm. is different. It could be higher. So if people are used to having you know, three beers here in the States, if they go to the islands and the alcohol percentage is higher, those three beers are maybe like having five beers. Yeah. And and I don't think people think about that. Um, I think, you know, just like when you plan a wedding and you think, okay, how much am I going to spend on alcohol? People always over drink when they're not paying for it, or, you know, when it's part of a party or something, um, So, you know, and not to mention the other things that go on, right, that you have no way to know. Is it another kind of substance? Is it even a prescription, you know, a substance prescription type of thing, right? And you combine all of that, and your sleep patterns are altered, and your eating patterns are altered, and your exercise patterns are altered, and you're doing either more physical than you did or less physical, Mm -hmm. and you put all that together, and and you're on vacation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's not a recipe for success.
0: <laughs> no. And, and, you know, candidly, I look at some of these near misses and I just think, wow, that, that person is lucky that something more serious, more tragic didn't happen to them.
1: Right. And, and again, it goes back to the, you still want to create this environment and I, and a pleasurable time, but then you also cannot be responsible for people's own decision-making.
0: Um, well, and many resorts have you know certain amenities. But if you are in the islands, for instance, let's say you want to go snorkeling or scuba diving and you leave the resort you are at to go to an independent vendor. Um, and you know, most resorts, most hospitals don't recommend people for this very reason. and then something happens there. And you know it it could be a vendor that if you sue them, they go out of business. And so, you know, now potentially they're looking to come back to the main organization. And it's like, again, you made this choice. You didn't investigate. Were they licensed? What was their policy or procedure if something happened? I mean, I've seen that where, you know, somebody went scuba diving or snorkeling and got bit by something and ended up, you know, with their foot hanging off in the back of a dirty pickup truck being taken to the ambulance because, Nine one one was just a suggestion. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I, and I think a lot of times people do that because like, oh, well, if I'm here, I can probably find it cheaper. If you know, if I go off off the right. resort or whatever it may may be. Well, um, and
0: and just liability. I mean, like in most, again, U.S. organizations and even some of the islands, you sign a waiver mm-hmm. before you swim with a dolphin or before you snorkel or, you know, something like that in many other countries. And I have been in some places and I've done things. And then my risk management brain kicks in and goes, you know, better. What were you thinking? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, but then it's, it's too late. And if something happens, okay, then, you know, then what do you do? It, it wouldn't be the tour company's fault or the place where you were staying you know, it's your own fault and you chose to do this. And I mean, I hiked up Duns River Falls years ago. That was one of the scariest things I've ever done. I didn't sign a waiver. I had, I, yeah, I'm like, in retrospect, stupid, very stupid decision. And I'm just lucky I didn't fall and hurt myself. <laughs> so, you know, as, as much as we complain about, you know, 911 and, and medical care in the US, the last thing, and, and people should be very aware of that when they travel internationally, um, you know, because it's, it's not the same um, and take the travel insurance. It's well worth it so that you can get airlifted out of wherever you are to a place that can provide you with be- you know, the best possible care. I was in Kenya years ago and they said, don't come out of your room after a certain time because the animals run wild. What? So we stood there looking through the window so we could see the animals or whatever, but I followed every direction to the letter. Cause I'm like, cause they're not gonna shoot the animals. So if you get eaten, that's on you.
1: Yeah, oh, that's <laughs> also terrifying.
0: Uh. But again, follow the directions. but you know, there's always gonna be that one person and it, it happened, um, they got out of their car in the middle of a pride of lions to get closer to take a photo and they got eaten. It happened like two weeks before we had been there.
1: Oh God. <laughs>
0: and and signage, they had signage in probably 40 languages. Don't get out of your car.
1: Yeah. I mean, that is
0: kind of common sense.
1: I mean, they're, they're lions. Yeah. They're
0: hungry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like you're a sitting dog. I mean, like,
0: you are not at the top of the food chain. <laughs> no.
1: You know, I, I remember years ago, we, my husband and I, we were on a cruise. And part of the cruise, we stopped in Russia. Um, and there was the option to fly to Moscow. And there were many, many warnings by the the cruise line that you, you this was an excursion, but they did not, you had to take a flight. And they mm-hmm. did not guarantee, clearly not guarantee the safety. And we were like, you know. I don't know if we want to take that, right? Like it, it's not U.S. Air or what? Not American <laughs> Airlines. Like I, I yeah, I, 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 we were like, we'll stay. We, yeah, we're, we're not going to see Moscow.
0: <laughs> I know, but it is really shocking. Even with all of that, that you know, that people still do things, and they just yeah. and and they do it fine. Do it. It's everyone's choice, right? But then don't try to. You know, go back to the cruise line or somebody like that, and and try to go after them when you just made a bad decision.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like
0: and own what you did.
1: <laughs> yeah, and in retrospect, I'm sure it would have been fine, but the what ifs kind of outweighed that at the. And I was like, you know, it's okay.
0: <laughs> well, I think when you do what we do for a living, you're also maybe a little more sensitive. The average person, like. Um, when I was at one property, I had a two friends come and I was walking around. We were walking around and I was like, oh, this is, I, need, I need to call security. I need to call. And they were like, huh, what? You know. And, and so they were just because one was a CPA and, you know, one was a teacher and they were just oblivious to to what I was seeing. So I also do think it's your frame of reference. I mean, I've stopped in the grocery store and said, excuse me, there's a spill over here. Can you, can you put up the sign and get somebody to clean it up? And they look at you like, what are you doing?
1: Yeah. I was in the grocery store the other weekend, like saw like a squished grape on, on I'm like, am I in the middle of a, a case right now? Like it's a squished <laughs> grape. And like, I was like, this is the law school problem right now. <laughs> <laughs> if we weren't in the produce aisle i was like oh this right is how'd like- that
0: grape get into the meat aisle
1: <laughs> i think it was in the paper product aisle to even make it even more <laughs> more confusing uh, well well judy we are just about out of time but i i didn't want to I, I, like we could go on forever um <laughs> like i don't want to stop but because I want to hear all of the stories, we might need to have you on for our, like a part two, uh, <laughs> like tourism uncovered, you know, <laughs> not just bedbugs. Um, but, you know, having gone through where you are now with your career and knowing where you started, what advice would you give your younger self besides other than what you alluded to before completing the four year to de- four year de- degree? Uh, what so advice-
0: my younger self, I. Um, I would say, first of all, volunteer. Volunteer whether, you know, and I think it's a little different now because of COVID and a lot of people are remote, but you know, I grew up in an office environment. And so, you know, sitting with other people or maybe listening in, you know, learning from people, if you're a workers comp person, learn the other lines, get an all lines license. A lot of companies have all kinds of free training, across, whether it's learning about the business, whether it's even something outside of insurance and claims, um, you know, whether it's accounting, whether it's anything like that, whatever free stuff your company has. And I I did a lot of it, but in retrospect, I could have done a whole lot more um, because how much time do you waste looking on the internet every day and things like that? Um, Certifications, I got started a little late, but I have a ton. And do it, whether your company is willing to pay for it for you um, or whether sometimes you just have to put the money out of pocket. I took an MIT business continuity class a few years ago. It wasn't cheap, but to this day, the networking that I did, the information that I learned, the contacts that you know I have, and I'm still in touch with the professor, um, well worth my time and money. And, you know, get involved, you know, network, join, you know, join local RIMS, join, you, you know, um, this, if you have a CPCU, if anything like that, where you can continue to grow your knowledge and, you know, with all the designations, you have all kinds of ethical requirements and continuing education credits. There is so much stuff now that's free. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and if your focus is general liability, learn some comp. You know, sit in on something that, you know, a class for nuclear verdicts. Just really expand your horizons as much as possible. Um, Have like a one, three, five-year plan. I always ask myself, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, Because the best person that could work for me is somebody who wants my job. So find somebody internally, externally, look at their LinkedIn, go, okay, I want this job in three years. These are the things I need to do to get it. And figure out a plan to be able to do it. Um, and then one thing for the females in the group, um, don't settle and be underpaid. Mm-hmm. When I started in my career, um I was afraid to ask for what I'm worth. I have saved companies millions of dollars. <laughs> I have, you know, in in my younger days, I was underpaid compared to my male counterparts, even though I had more designations and more practical experience, it's gotten better. I'm much more aggressive about that, but, but, you know, ask for, and, and, you know, value yourself and don't just settle for, you know, what they're giving you.
1: Yeah. I think that is such, such a great point too. And also to go off that or piggyback onto what you said about picking it like where you want to be. Um, I would say, don't be afraid to, of reaching out to that person, whether they, you know them or they're a stranger and just ask. Cause I feel g- people generally feel like honored when you're like, Hey, like, how, like, can I pick your brain? Like, yeah. what did you do? How did you get there? Like, I, I like I'm never bothered by that. Most times I'm flattered. Right.
0: Well, (laughs) and you know what? Anybody that who's ever worked for me, I can honestly say they've gotten designations. They've joined local groups. Um, It's so, so important. And I still think even more for women than men. Um, and, And if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to chat.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, so with that, can you just let the, our, our listeners know how they can find you um, since you've given them an open invitation to pick your brain?
0: <laughs> you can find gonna- me on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> and my personal email is on the one little section, the about section, I think. Okay. So just connect with me. And, you know, if, if 50 people respond, I may not be able to respond to everybody, but I really am happy because I have had very good mentors along the way. Um, and like I said, if, you know, when my retirement comes, if I have a bunch of people that want my job, that's the best case scenario. Yes,
1: it is. It is. Cause then also, especially if you know who wants your job, you could help them. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and sometimes it's confusing, right? There's hundreds of classes and courses you can take. What's the best for you? What's the best for you now? What's the best for you to develop your career three to five years from now? You know, a lot of them are in parts so how do you do it? How do you, if you have a family, I've never had children, so I've had more time, um, you know, but how do you figure out, how do you work that into your schedule? And candidly, how are you maybe a little selfish every once in a while to make sure you're doing what you need to do for you? Yeah, right. Because nobody's going to hand it to you. So if there's something you want to do, you're going to have to go out there and get it and take it um, and show initiative because, you know, it. a lot of people nowadays are just kind of content to just do their day to day and settle. That's not going to get you ahead. You you know, just yeah. go for it.
1: But also with that, sometimes you do need to give yourself, like I do this to myself. I you have to give yourself a break too. Like some days I feel guilty. Like if I'm like, <laughs> I just don't have it in me to do whatever the thing is that day. And it's like, you know what? Unless it needs to be done today, maybe you don't, you don't need to do it today and you don't need to feel bad about it. It it is a check
0: and balance. I know my, uh, my fiance says, don't you have a dimmer switch? That's what he says to me all the time. And I'm like, yeah, no, not really.
1: I I don't know if I want Judy to be dimmer. I I like, I like bright Judy, but I I like that idea. It's a good saying. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe It's just like a little, like at night, you just have to
0: wind down a little bit. Yeah. But I'm waiting for that phone call. So I'm actually never totally wound down. (laughs) Well,
1: Judy, thank you so much for spending the time, time with us today. I truly appreciate it. I appreciate everyone who come comes on this podcast and shares with me. I know my, our, my listeners enjoy it and I, I certainly enjoy it as well. So thank you so much. And of course, for everyone listening out there, if you like what you hear, please remember to like, and subscribe to the defensive arrests on Apple podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube at TDNR podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Megan. Have a nice day. You
1: too.